Are you waiting for everything to be perfect before you decide to enjoy life? Stop waiting. Start living. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes with Scott and Becky McIntosh, where you will hear inspiring stories from imperfect people living life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love, despite challenging circumstances to bring hope to your heart and a smile to your face in only 22 minutes. Now, let's welcome the host of the show, Scott and Becky McIntosh. Welcome to Life in 22 Minutes. We have invited our friend and associate, Abby Stevens. We know Abby from the National Speakers Association. Abby has a message of hope, courage, and choosing happy amidst hardships and challenges. Uh, So, Abby, let's just get started. Just tell us your story. Thank you for having me, first of all. I'm excited to be part of your amazing podcast and sharing these inspirational stories and hopefully helping people and lifting people. So thank you. Well, to, to start with, I have lots of stories, but the one you're referring to is 20 years ago, one week before my wedding, our wedding, I should say, since that has, you know, my husband was part of it too. We were driving to Wyoming from Utah to a cousin's wedding reception. And in the process, we were in an accident. Okay, just just a second, Abby. Let's just cut, let's uh, just tell everybody where you're from and why you would be going to Wyoming. I I grew up in the little town of Cokeville, which is uh, a well-known town now due to the movie that just came out, The Cokeville Miracle. Uh, I grew up there. It's a little tiny town of about 550 people. And it's only uh, from here in Caseville, Utah, where I live, it is, I say only, it's only two and a half hours drive. But to me, that is just a short drive. Because like you said, when you're from Wyoming, everything is a long way away. That day we were headed to my cousin's reception up there. We had been to her wedding that day in Salt Lake City, and then headed up to her reception. So that's, that's where we were headed. And so about halfway there, just outside of Evanston, headed back into Utah, I was asleep and my husband, then fiance, Cole, was driving. And we usually stop in Evanston for a quick uh, break or whatnot, but because I was asleep, we kept going. And part of my message that I share as a speaker is, is in the choices that we make, uh, because for whatever reason... We were not wearing our seatbelts that day. It was a not necessarily a conscious choice we made that day, but just we didn't say, hey, let's not wear our seatbelts today. But just, a, you know, just didn't put them on. Careless mistake. So I was reclined in my seat without a seatbelt. And as we came around a bend on this little tiny two-lane highway up in the north part of Utah, the road curved just a, just a little bit. And as it did, call it down at me. And as he did so... The car went off the road just onto the shoulder, which there's not much of a shoulder, paved shoulder, and it went right to gravel. And at that point, the sound of that gravel woke me up. I remember sitting up in my chair, in my seat, and as I did, Cole overcorrected into the oncoming lane of traffic. Now, it is a little tiny road in the middle of nowhere and not much traffic on it, And but I thought I saw a car coming right for us. And I remember grabbing his arm as he was holding to the steering wheel and I yelled, watch out. 
and I, as he, as, as I did, he overcorrected again off the side of the road. And at that point there was a little bit of a, a ditch, a little wash off the side that as we hit the back passenger side of the car, it flipped the car. We rolled one time and landed on our wheels. And that part, I don't remember. Yeah, she will roll. And how, and how fast uh, were Col- you going? Just highway speed. So there at that time was was 65. You know, that's a decent speed. And when you overcorrect and then do it again, you have quite a, you know, momentum that, that throws you, especially hitting that ditch as we went off the side. And But we were lucky that we only rolled once. We were blessed that way, I believe, because anymore could have done a whole lot more damage and we may not even be here. So as we landed there, I just re- recall all of the, the red clay dirt poofed up all over. And I was a little bit confused and, and out of it and not sure exactly what had just happened. I didn't know where I was. I was trying to make sense of what had happened and really actually trying to decide if I was still asleep and had just a really bad dream or if it was real and I was having a hard time deciding I know I was in pain and couldn't breathe and couldn't open my eyes very well and I could hear Cole calling my name as um, he looked over he said he couldn't see me I was no longer in my seat where I used to be and he was calling for me and couldn't see through all the the red dirt that was all over in the air but as that that dust settled he looked and saw my feet in the seat where I was sitting before and realized that the rest of me was now in the back seat. So my body was just laid between the bucket seats with my head in the back seat behind the driver's side. And as he got out of the car and came around to the back door, he opened the door and got down by me and just held my head still. And I remember still trying to make sense of what happened. I I said, tell me this is a dream. And he said, no, this is real. And that's when I said, then pray. And of course, in that situation, in shock and not sure what to do, it's a little bit of a crazy time, but he prayed for help as, you know, back way back in 1996, we didn't have a cell phone and um, didn't have a way to call for help. And like I said, that road is very, not very heavily traveled. And so there wasn't even actually a car that came by for a few minutes. And the first car that came upon the scene stopped and they happened to have a cell phone and were able to call for help. And uh, help came from multiple directions. And I was not totally conscious through all of that, just little bits and pieces of memory in my mind. And they, they called for Life Flight to come from the University of Utah. So obviously it took a while. They cut the the top off the car and got me out. And it obviously took quite a while, a lot more detail than maybe we have time for here. But that's why I'm writing my book. Do you have a name for your book? I don't. That's still in in the work. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So when I get that done, maybe we can do another another interview and, and let people know. But I'm still working on that. But so, so much detail. But they... Called Life Flight, they, they stopped the traffic, what cars were coming, so that Life Flight could land there on the highway. And as Cole, um, he didn't know what to do. They had told him he could not ride with me in the helicopter. And so they were 
he didn't know how to get back to Salt Lake where they were taking me. So he was praying for help. He didn't know what to do. And he looked up this line of cars that, that had been stopped and told the EMT that he was with, he said, you need to stop that car. It's her mom and dad. Some people say coincidence. I say everything happens for a reason. And because my parents had been at the wedding that day in Salt Lake also, they they had come upon the scene a little later. And I remember being in the back of the ambulance and opening opening my eyes just long enough to, to see my dad come in. And, and he was able to give me a priesthood blessing. And um, that's something in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that, that I belong to that we believe has power to heal and help. And so he gave me that, that blessing and I was on my way in the, in the helicopter. And next thing I know, I woke up in critical care. So lots of things happened along the way. Cole was able to go back to Utah with my parents, called his parents along the way. And they told my family when they arrived that I had broken my neck at the level of C3-4, which is very high up, even with your jawline, and that it was a complete spinal cord injury, meaning the spinal cord was severed or, or damaged enough that I would not ever walk again. They were sure of it, that I would never walk. I wouldn't feel. I had. They had intubated me when I got to the hospital, meaning they put the tubes down my throat to help me breathe. And then a week later, they put the, the tubes in my neck, a uh, tr- tracheotomy, and then I was on a ventilator. They said I would be ventilator dependent. They said I would probably only live a few years. They said five to 10 years and die due to complications of that severe of a spinal cord injury. That I would never probably live at home. I would always be in some kind of healthcare facility. That I would never get married, never have children. And it was very, very no hope whatsoever. So are they, they telling you that you're a quadriplegic, a paraplegic, yes. or along those lines? Yeah, complete quadriplegic, meaning nothing from the neck down. I couldn't feel or move anything, and I couldn't even breathe on my own. So, Abby, they told you up to possibly five years. Now, you said at the beginning of this story, this happened 20 years ago. And I know you personally. I see you at our speakers chapter meetings and you walk and I know you are a mother yes I lived past five to ten years yes you did so how did that happen I completely give all of that credit to God I believe in miracles and I had a very very strong faith and my mom will tell you that I've always been a very determined stubborn soul (laughs) which at this point now was channeled in a really positive direction. And I was determined to walk again. When they told me I would not walk and all of those things, I said, I don't think so. I will walk. And I told them multiple times. And when I did, they would kind of just, oh, mm -hmm, uh uh-huh. And they didn't believe me, but I... They just kind of rolled their eyes and smiled. They heard it before. You know that... Yeah. One of my favorite quotes comes to mind, and it's by Viktor Frankl. He was a prisoner in the Holocaust. He said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And that just reminded me of you 
they've told you everything has been taken away from you, essentially. You won't walk. You won't be able to feed yourself. You'll have to have someone care for you. you but yet, they can't take away your attitude and your stubbornness, as your mother put it, was going yes. to shine through and get you through this. Yes, and that's and that's what we did. Now, that doesn't mean that I was really excited to hear this news, that I was paralyzed. It doesn't mean that I didn't have moments of complete heartbreaking sadness and discouragement and all of those normal human feelings that we have. And so... Can I, can I, I ask you this, though? You talk about your human feelings. Were you angry or were you hurt? You know, I, I can say for 100% that I was really never angry. Anger was never a feeling I had. It was more disappointment and and just sad and heartbroken that the, my life, as I had known it and as we had planned to be married and have a family, and I, I was actually a, I was a musical theater major at BYU. I was very active. I was a dancer, a singer. I had all of that, all of these hopes and plans, and I was actually... Uh, when we got married, I was going to go to beauty school so I could help pay for his education. And so I had all these hopes and dreams. We had all of these hopes and dreams that were literally crushed. And so the, the feelings were more of, like I said, heartbreak and disappointment and sor- just heartbreaking sorrow and sadness sometimes where I just sobbed and sobbed. And But I don't feel that that meant I had a negative attitude. That just means that I'm human. And have really, right, human feelings, like I said. And so, but with that, when we, you know, when we feel the lowest of lows and those feelings, that I believe that helps us feel the highest of highs and knowing what the other end, the other extreme of those are. And that's where my hope was and belief in God and in miracles and that I could turn this all around to my benefit. And whatever that meant, whether I ended up in a wheelchair or Whatever that meant, I was going to live, and I, I was determined to walk. And I didn't know how long that would take, but I, I was in the hospital for three months, and I walked out. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Let me ask you something yeah. else. You, you have a boyfriend. He, fiance. Um, a fiance. And he's driving. Yeah. He's driving a car. He may feel some responsibility here for this situation you're in. And he's dealing with the fact that the girl he was going to marry now is not going to be able to have any kids. She's not going to be able to walk. She's going to die soon. And so how is he going to deal with this? Is he going to walk away from it all? Is he overcome with guilt? Um, what's, what's going on with this guy? Well, you know, those are all the feelings that you, you think people would feel like, should I go? What do I do? And I can tell you, and he will tell you that it was not ever, ever, ever even a thought to leave. Not ever. It wasn't, should I leave or should I stay? It was, and you know, yes, he's dealt with a lot of, of, of guilt and, and his own feelings and dealing through all of this, but he never once thought about leaving. And not once did I ever think it either. No, Neither one of us ever thought it. And again, it's a choice. He chose to to be there. He was committed. And there's a a news clip interview of us on my website and on on YouTube the day we got married. 
which was 11 months after the accident, he said, she's still Abby. I loved her and I was committed to her and she's still her. So that was his choice. And he didn't know the outcome either. Um, but we had all the hope in the world that we would be married, that we would have children and that we would live a life together as we planned, even though there was a slight detour. And even though I'm not physically what I was, um, I do walk. I walk a little bit with a limp. You, you have, you've both seen that. And my, my whole right side doesn't function very well. And I, so I only have the use of one hand, my left hand. And no, I was not left-handed before. That's a question I get a lot. I was very right-handed, but my right side is, is, um, I guess disabled or, you know, not, not normal anymore, but I do a whole lot more than they said I would. And yes, we have children. We have four children, including twins. So, you know, a whole and lot you of gave funny. birth to them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So, so there's, you know, a lot of that people go, Oh my word, how did, you know, and you know what we do, we just laugh about all of it. I, you know, at the moment when he said, I, the doctor said it was twins, I cried really hard. And then we just had to laugh because how ironic is it that the mom with one arm <laughs> is having two babies when the oldest baby just turned four and the next one was only 18 months old. So, and the, the twins were born four days after the baby turned two. So dad was going to have to help. Yes. Well, and he, he helped all the time. He's been wonderful all along. He has literally been my right hand because it doesn't work. And he has pitched in from the beginning, never even a thought that, it, that he wouldn't. And so it's been that way from day one. And like you said, it is, it's 20 years later, you know, these kids are all grown. My babies, the twins are 12 now and, and, you know, life goes on. We, and we choose, are we, are we happy a hundred percent of the time? No. Are we normal? Yes. Do we have normal family dynamics? Yes. Ups and downs, you know, our kids fight just like everybody else's. We disagree like every human couple I know. And, but we have chosen to be happy through it all. We choose joy. We choose to work through it. We choose to have a good attitude about it and to laugh. That's what we do. We laugh a lot. Both of you are just an awesome couple. Uh, doing great things. You're speaking. Yeah, you're living your dream. To sing was my dream, and my voice was actually damaged from the innovation. And they told me that I wouldn't ever sing again. Between my voice, vocal cords being damaged, having my right lung partially collapse, all the muscles that help you sing, your diaphragm, all the intercostal muscles that you train to be a singer, all of that was weakened and from the paralysis, and so. They said, don't, don't even plan on that. Even if you walk, you'll, you'll never sing. Well, again, they said I wouldn't. And so I said, oh yes, I will. And so that's been part of my dream as a speaker to incorporate my music, my dream back into that. And so I do that, the entertainment value where I sing songs that are incorporated into my message and last fall release my first Christmas album which was a dream come true. And how do but, listeners yeah, get a hold of that album if they'd like? Uh, they can order directly through my website, which is abbystevens.net, and that's Stevens with a P-H, abbystevens.net, and just go to my store there, and they can order it there. So I know that 
that you're an inspiration to many and I heard you, you speak and the, and the audience just light up as you sing and thank you for sharing your, your gifts and talents. And- I've told people that <clears throat> if they were walking down the busy streets of Manhattan and somebody bumped them hard enough to knock them over, would they continue to lay on the ground or would they get up and dust themselves off, get pointed in the direction they were going and start going that direction again? Just because you finally get to stand up and now you're facing the wall, you don't walk into the wall. You don't turn around and go back the direction you came from. You dust yourself off. You get going the direction you're going and get going again. And so even though (laughs) your life changed, you're still going upward and forward and, and, uh, and making those, those choices to, to continue to succeed no matter what comes your way. Exactly. And that's, what I hope people take from my message and, and there's so many others that, that have, have done the same thing that have come across really, really difficult things in their life and have continued to progress and move forward and overcome and not let that circumstance win. And that's, you know, that's, that's my message too, is just becoming who you're supposed to be, whether there's a detour or not, we can, we can get around every detour, keep going, keep pushing have your human moments, but let them go and move on, right? Exactly. Um, and, I, and I heard you exactly. say earlier, you, you have to just make a conscious effort to put one foot in front of the other. Exactly. And over time, it'll get easier. As we keep pushing, it'll become easier. Thank you very much for joining us today. Your message inspires people. It inspires us. Uh, it's great to know you and to be a part of your life. It's nice to have friends uh, like you. So You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And, and it's great to have friends like you as well. Thanks for listening to Life in 22 Minutes. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about us. And please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. Your review will help us to broaden our audience. Until next time, don't wait for things to be perfect. Get out there and live life with courage, humor, and a whole lot of love.